you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9, I want to remind us of some of the, the basics of the gospel. And one of the reasons that I decided to speak on this is hearing two weeks ago about yet another um, a Protestant minister who became a Roman Catholic. And it just astonishes me to see uh, how uh, easily um, even some Reformed people get confused on the distinctions between Roman Catholicism and uh, true Christianity. And this is just one little slice of the differences, but um, uh, there's a muddying of the waters nowadays, and I think it's very important that we understand crystal clear what the gospel is all about. And maybe to give a little bit of background, let me explain the different perspective that Roman Catholics have on the Lord's table uh, from what the Reformation did. Uh, Rome um, taught and continues to teach that Christ is sacrificed over and over again every time they have the Lord's table, what they call uh, the Mass. They teach that when the priest raises the elements, that at that moment, the elements are transformed and become the literal uh, flesh and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they claim so real is that change into flesh and blood that it's appropriate to give the highest form of worship to these elements. For example, the code of canon law in Canon 898 says, hold the Eucharist in the highest honor worshiping it with supreme adoration. Uh, the Second Vatican Council said that we're to worship the elements, quote, with the same worship of latria or adoration that we offer to God. And so you'll notice in Roman Catholic churches that when they come uh, into the church and they're facing the communion uh, table there, they will, uh, women will curtsy, men will bow, they'll kneel. It's, it's a form of worship, which is idolatry. Um, they also teach that it was not enough for Christ to die in AD 30. They say he has to be re-sacrificed over and over again because we continue to sin. Well, what does that say about Christ's crucifixion? That it was not sufficient uh, for our salvation. Uh, Pope John Paul II said, the Eucharist is above all else a sacrifice. Uh, the Second Vatican Council said the Mass perpetuates the sacrifice of the cross throughout the ages until he should come again. For in the sacrifice of the Mass, our Lord is immolated. In other words, he is put to death again as a sacrifice. And um, they say this repeatedly. Pope Pius XII said the august sacrifice of the altar then is no mere empty commemoration of the passion and death of Jesus Christ, but a true and proper act of sacrifice whereby the high priest, by an unbloody immolation, offers himself a most acceptable victim to the Eternal Father as he did upon the cross. And so real do they say that this sacrifice is, that it washes away our sins, it removes God's uh, wrath, his anger. The Roman Catechism says the Eucharist was given that the church might have a perpetual sacrifice by which our sins might be expiated and our Heavenly Father might be turned away from wrath to mercy. Now the Council of Trent said the Holy Council teaches that this is a truly propitiatory sacrifice. The Lord is appeased by this offering. 
He gives the gracious gift of repentance. He absolves even enormous offenses and sins. And they say it provides satisfaction not just for the sins of those who are living, but also for the sins of those who are dead. And uh, that's a false theology that robs the cross of its power. We've been celebrating and singing about the gospel on the wonderful cross of Jesus Christ. Well, it robs the cross of its power. It robs Christians of their assurance of salvation because they, uh, it makes them think every time they sin, they need a new sacrifice. They need a new atonement. And I think that this passage from Hebrews provides a wonderful correction to each of those errors. So let's start reading at verse 23. Hebrews 9, verse 23. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And I want you to notice the contrast between copies and heaven. The earthly sacrifices were not the real thing. They simply pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ who was said to be in heaven in this verse. His humanity is not down here on the earth, it's in heaven. Verse 24, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands. His humanity is not omnipresent like his deity is. Uh, his humanity can only be in one place uh, at a time. And so he says very explicitly, as to his humanity, he does not enter holy places on earth. For Christ has not entered holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So where does Christ's body appear? It appears in heaven, not on the earth, uh, but in heaven. And in verse 25, the writer hastens to add that Jesus is not even perpetually sacrificed in heaven. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. That is in such stark contrast to what Rome ta taught. Unlike the Old Testament priests, it says here very explicitly, Jesus does not offer himself often. Rome teaches that um, uh, he does, and if the Roman Catholic teaching is true, then verse 26 says what would have to happen. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. I notice several things here. First of all, if Jesus had to be offered often, as Rome said, then the logic would say he would have been crucified not in AD 30, but at the beginning of history, and then been offered often after that. And second, it says explicitly, he was only offered once. And then third, at that time, he took care of all of our sins forever, past, present, and future. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. There's nothing more that needs to be done. Just as Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Verses 27 through 28. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So as to his humanity, there are not multiple appearings, there's not multiple offerings. Uh, he's going to appear again at the second coming, but he, will only, he was only offered once. And so all of this speaks of the finality and the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. 
he washed it white as snow. So let's thank the Lord. Father, we are so grateful that we do not need to continually sacrifice uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that it was an infinite sacrifice that paid for all sins, past, present, and future. And as we come to the table this morning, we do not come hoping that we can be saved, but assured that all who put their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved and have their sins cleansed and uh, justified. And uh, so, Father, I pray that as we come to this table this morning, we would not come with doubts, but we would come with faith, with rejoicing, with a full confidence that he who has begun a good work in us will continue to perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. We thank you that in Christ Jesus, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. And so we pray that you would set aside these common elements that you would uh, give us faith and joy and peace as we partake and rest ourselves in this gospel made visible to all five senses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.